You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2022 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Father in heaven, I am so grateful that these individuals have come together to study this topic that is so vital. But who am I? Who is anyone to try to understand this and talk about this? I need the Holy Spirit's help, and they need the Holy Spirit's help as well. We want to properly understand this in, its, in, in, in the simple truth and also in the spiritual meaning, Lord, as it, as it impacts our lives. So please help me now, for Jesus' sake. And thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, and as a subject... Feel free to grab both of those. We'll be referring to both of those. Needless to say, we can't begin to, to uh, go through all the texts, but we'll go through some of the main highlights. Um, and, and we will, this is basically a footnote expanded, okay? This is a footnote expanded. And this, what this consists of is the statements where Ellen White speaks of the everlasting to everlasting duration of Christ's life because there are many of them, and I thought it would be helpful instead of just having a footnote with all the words that people could actually look at it. And it was interesting, and I, I want to get to it for just a moment by way of review and talk about materials. Um, I found a quotation or noticed something I'd never noticed before, so every day you learn when you study the subject. But you have the study guide, we use the Bible, and then I have a website called discipleheart.com. It has more than 700 pages of resources, and I would urge you to go there. Uh, one of my recent studies has been on what it means to partake of the divine nature, and I have a huge page uh, in chronological listing all the time she uses the word what it means to grasp the divine nature. It's amazing what she says. She says we can take hold of this. Not only we receive Christ's righteousness, but she says we receive Christ's nature somehow. And so you can find that there. And there's another page on what is the will. So, and then there's some information on how to get a hold of me by phone or uh, uh, write an email. Uh, but by way of review now, uh, we talked yesterday about the mystery of the Godhead. I've already talked about that a little bit. Uh, talked about yesterday that the Father is one of three persons of the Godhead. And we talked about the attributes of the Father, including those that are non-communicable attributes. Uh, and after this slide, I'm going to show you a quotation I just noticed yesterday that's really quite amazing. Uh, we other, another thing that we mentioned, which is a critical, critical thing to remember, we're going to review it again this morning, is that after the fall, Ellen White says in numerous statements that Christ took over all communication on behalf of the Father. Because that is true, every time you see God speaking to a person in the Old Testament, it is Christ, it's not the Father. Did you hear me? That means that Christ is throughout the Old Testament. Many people don't realize that. And they say, well, you know, show us. Well, he's there. And uh, it's interesting that, the, and I will find before the end of this week, that there's some places where the Holy Spirit also uses the, the word Yahweh. And that's why when we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, all three of them use the name Yahweh. All three of them use the same name. But there are three persons. 
Anyway, and we talked about the fact that various titles are used to communicate the Father's relational desires, and Christ used those as well. He said, I am the good shepherd, you know, I'm the bread of life, all those kinds of things. We, we talked about that. We talked about how much the Father dearly loves us. Now notice, um, and these were the, the attributes of God which are non-communicable, eternal, self-existent, meaning he didn't need, God doesn't need anyone to start his life. He has a self-existence within himself, all-powerful, omnipotent, present everywhere, omnipresent, all-knowing, omniscient, unchanging, immutable. Okay, those are, those are attributes of God that because they are there, that is God. And there's a sovereignty about God as well. But notice this quotation. If God has done for us the utmost that deity could do, and then notice the next. If all the divine attributes, unlimited as they are, have combined and even exhausted themselves in the great plan of redemption. Notice that. If all the divine attributes, now that's more than just an attribute. You know, we talk about the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Those are attributes that we share with God, right? At some level. But, but the divine attributes, and then she says, unlimited as they are. That's the key. God has an unlimited proficiency in the divine attributes and every other one of them. Unlimited as they are, have combined and even exhausted themselves in the great plan of redemption. What an amazing picture of the work of God. She says, the divine attributes, unlimited as they are, combine even exhausted in the great plan of redemption, then every child and youth should make the scriptures their study that they may not be ignorant of this wonderful scheme. So I discovered that in the writings of Ellen White, she refers to the divine attributes. That's the non-communicable attribute that we were referring to yesterday. Now, take your booklet, and, and this is probably the, the, the page that will explain a lot of what we talk about today. Um, look at introduction and lines of evidence. I want to share with you why we can have confidence in Jesus being God, and then we'll look at the, the, the texts that, that say that. The lines of evidence will include, it's on the yellow side there, it's on the, on the cover. It's on the cover. You need to be looking at a yellow page, right behind the, the, the title page. Christ being named one of three persons who make up the Godhead. Uh, second one, Christ appropriated the title, I am. So Christ comfortably appropriated the term, I am, and he was doing it in the Old Testament. Irrefutable or unmistakable uh, evidence of Christ's deity during his earthly sojourn. He himself said, and he gave four reasons why he was God to the Jews. Christ is clearly identified as God throughout the scriptures. Christ took over the communication role and therefore was speaking as God in the scriptures. Christ accepted the worship of many people in his day. And you could not worship Christ unless he was God. He would have never allowed that. Uh, there's the command to worship Christ the Creator in the last days. Christ will be welcomed as God at the second coming. Christ will be worshipped as God in heaven. Christ is the object and the fulfillment of many Bible prophecies. Christ performed many supernatural works that only God could perform. Christ made many claims that only deity could make. Christ gave many assurances that only deity could give. That's why there is no difficulty saying that Christ was God. The, the, the case is clear, okay? It's unequivocally clear. And then we'll look at other evidence after that for, for, for who he is. So let's just get started. Uh, and so go 
too. And we use line numbers for those of you that are, are, are new to the class. The line numbers tell us exactly where we are. Uh, let's go to line one. Christ is one of three persons who make up the Godhead. Um, you know the verse, Matthew 28. Go therefore teaching, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And then Christ applied the title, I am to himself. Acts 3.14, And God said to Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. That was Christ speaking to Moses. Okay? That was Christ speaking to Moses. And, and Ellen White actually gives us a clue as to when it was Christ speaking and when it was an angel speaking. We'll get to that soon. Then I mentioned that uh, and, and John 8, 58, line 8, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And if you look at the footnote, uh, uh, at footnote number 2, the following came from a section of a letter speaking of Christ. The Lord, the Lord must be believed and served as the great I am, and we must trust implicitly in him. Okay? Ellen White says we must... We must uh, must believe and serve Jesus as the great I am. Now, Christ gave irrefutable evidence of four witnesses of his deity to angry opposers in his day. So, line 19, regarding John the Baptist, and I'll just read line 19 and 20, there's another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. Okay? John witness of Jesus. Okay? And then there was, on line 25, the witness of his works. But I have greater witness than that of John, for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. In other words, there was the witness of his supernatural work. Line 28, there was the Father's assertions, and the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. Okay? When he said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then line 31, the scriptures, search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So Jesus gave these four evidences of his being truly God. Anyway, so there are the four irrefutable witnesses, evidences of his being God. Now, let's go to line 37. Christ is known and referred to as God in the Bible. The first one, John 1, 1 and 2. And our speaker this morning referred to it in the beginning was the word, the actual uh, text says in beginning. There isn't in the beginning. And what they say, the difference is when you say in the beginning, it refers to a point in time, but in beginning means it is in the everlasting past. There is no point of beginning at that point. And the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Okay? And then... Um, Line 41, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the what? The Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Line 50, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is what? God with us. Very, very clear. Let's, let's look at just a few more of these. Uh, Line 56, and the word was made flesh, and it dwelt among us, okay? Line 61, Romans 9, 5, whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God bless forever, amen. 
And then 69, Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of that great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't need to read more. Christ is identified as God in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, we talked about this yesterday, but Christ took over as heaven's chief communicator, and I want you to, to, uh, look, to look at one verse. Uh, we, can, we can look at some of this more carefully, like no man had seen the Father since the fall. Christ has anticipated written in the Old Testament, but I want you to look up Exodus chapter 6, verse 3. This is a key, key verse in my mind. Exodus 6, verse 3. And I think it's actually in your booklet. Let's go back to your booklet. It is there. Uh, line 132. Line 132. In the booklet, 132. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord Yahweh. Okay? Anytime you see the word Lord capitalized, you know, in the King James or with, a, with, with large caps in the New King James Version, but it's the, the, the first L is a little bit bigger, the word behind that is Yahweh, which we pronounce in some Bibles as Jehovah. That's the four letters with Adonai for the pronunciation. It says, And I appeared unto Abraham and unto Isaac and Jacob by the name of God Almighty, emphasis added, okay? That's Elohim. But by my name Jehovah, which I just explained was, was the, 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 the four, Yahweh, was I not known to them. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord. In other words, he said, I am, and uses then the most sacred name of God. That was Christ speaking. He said, I revealed myself before to these people, and now I will reveal myself using the most sacred name. And it's fascinating, if you read the book of Exodus, whenever he's encouraging Moses, he says, I am, he almost starts always with, I am the Lord, I am, and then he uses that most sacred name, because because the I am is, is the name that you can fill in with whatever you need. I am in Christ's life. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am you know, the water of life. Okay. So when you, when you read I am, it, it speaks of, of heavenly provision. It's the unlimited you know, provision made through the, the, the attributes of what deity can do. When I read that, that really struck me. Here we see Jesus clearly saying, I've used all these names in the Old Testament. That being true, Christ is everywhere in the Old Testament. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely clear. He's everywhere. Uh, we continue. Notice line 181. We're, we're, we're going to have to jump quickly to get through all of this, as you can imagine. Exodus 13, 21, And the Lord... Okay, there's, there's that most sacred name, went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them by the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. So there God is involved in, or Christ is involved in leading them. Then um, let's go to line, let's say regarding Joshua, the new person. Line 199, And the Lord Yahweh said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And the Lord said, this, using this most sacred name, This day I will begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. 
it's a, it's a practical question. Because to me, this is more than just so much information. Do you think we as a people fully appreciate what we have when Jesus uses that most sacred name? Don't you think we sometimes limit God? I, I, love to, I have a sermon where I talk about no-limit Christians. You know, Ellen White says there's no limit to the good that one can do who self, setting self aside makes room for the Holy Spirit. You know what the averse to a no-limit Christian is? It's a limit God Christian. Which one do you want to be? A no-limit Christian or a limit God Christian? I fear I've done a lot of the limiting God business, but I don't want to do it. Anyway, we continue. So, so Joshua. Now, look at the footnote. It would be footnote 11. This is an important point. Ellen White provides helpful direction in identifying an angel visitor as Christ. Referring to Joshua's experience, she writes, the angel had veiled the divine glory of his presence, but it was no other than Christ. Then she says, the Son of God, when a prophet or an angel delivered a divine message, his words were, the Lord saith, I will do. But it is stated of the person who talked with Gideon, the Lord said unto him, I will be with you. And so anytime you're reading where there's a conversation between an angel of God and a person, if it says, the Lord said, you know that's an angel. But if it says, I will bless you or I will lead you, then you know it is Christ speaking directly. She explains that, that when you read the Bible, you can tell who's communicating on that basis. Feel free to stop me if you want me to clarify something. I tend to talk very fast and I have to slow down. Am I going too fast? Okay, just because I've, I've been told. Sometimes they put a sign, slow down. Now notice Second uh, Chronicles 7, 12. Or actually, let's go to David, line 217. And it came to pass after this that David inquired of who? The Lord, saying, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And who responded? The Lord. There's that sacred name, said unto him, Go up. And David said, Whither shall I go up? And he said, Unto Hebron. And then with Solomon, line 226, And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. What an amazing condescension that God will speak to his people. And, you know, David wasn't always a perfect man. And Solomon, you know, he made all kinds of mistakes. But God will, will still speak. And then Malachi 3, 1, line 236, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. The Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith who? Yahweh. You know, when you read that, just think, huge blessings, huge, huge reinforcement. You don't need to worry. And I believe that, that all of the verses of the Bible are written as God's personal communication to us as well. Put your, your own name in, in the communication. Please do. Um, sometimes people recognize the presence of God. Line 264, when Jacob was wrestling with the unknown assailant, in Genesis 3, 32, 29, line 265, and Jacob asked him, and tell me, I pray thee by thy name. And he said, wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. That had to be Christ, right? Because no man could look upon God the Father and survive that, that look. So that was Christ actually in direct communication with, uh, with Jacob there. 
Now, line 279, Christ is also referred to as the angel of the Lord and other similar names. Okay? So let's look at a few of these things. Um, sometimes, prior to the Incarnation, I'm looking at line 306 right now, or maybe we better start with, with, with the fact that line 295, humans, celestial beings, and Christ are referred to as angel messengers. Okay, so all three categories receive that name. So Paul, line 298 in Galatians 4.14, he says, I but receive me as an angel of God. So some people looked at Paul as, as an angel. So he uses that, that term, but it's not really a valid term, obviously. It was people who received him as an angel, but, but there's something more than, than an angel in Paul or something different. Uh, a question is asked sometimes, is the Holy Spirit just an angel? Notice the footnote at line 14 way down at the bottom. Note the vine, Brother Haskell, you need never feel that you are alone. Angels of God are your companion. The Holy Spirit is your comforter. Notice that Ellen White distinguishes between the Holy Spirit and angels. Angels uh, are your companions. The Holy Spirit is your comforter. That was from a letter in 1895. Regarding Christ, line 306, pre-incarnate Christ was sometimes referred to as the angel of the Lord. And in Genesis 16.10, it says, And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed. So who is speaking there? We've learned the clue already. What's the key? When it says, I will multiply thy seed. That was Christ, right? I'm at line 308. I'm sorry, 308. Yeah. It says, I will bless thee, I will multiply thy seed. That has to have been Christ speaking. Uh, and then there, 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 there are more. Uh, Hagar, when she is being communicated with, it is Christ. Uh, line 318, what aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice. Uh, line 319, arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. Okay, Christ gave a promise to Hagar. And Abraham, uh, line 327, that in blessing, I will bless thee, and in multiplying, I will multiply thy seed. That's Christ speaking to Abraham. And we could go on. Jacob, Moses, Manoah, the children of Israel, all of these people were receiving direct communication from Christ. Christ is throughout the Old Testament. What about Christ being referred to as Michael the archangel? Look at line 391. In line 391, we find a parallel, Jude 1, verse 9, 393, yet Michael the archangel who contended with the devil, he disputed about the body of Christ. He go to Zechariah, and he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing and resisting him. And the Lord, Yahweh said to him, the Lord rebuke you. In the first, it ends by saying, but the Lord rebuked thee. So we find that the, the, the same thing is going on. It's a parallel where we... we we can be pretty certain who was speaking that. Look at uh, line 422. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time, etc. Acts 5.30 and line 428. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom he slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted to his right hand to be a prince and a savior. Okay, so it says Michael... The great prince withstandeth for the people, that's referring to, to Christ. 
Now, going to line 443, have you had time to, do you, do, you, do you want a time just to think about what you just heard? I've obviously thought about this for quite a few hours, so. Are we all together with what we've learned so far? Somewhat? The important point that I've tried to make so far is that Christ is throughout the scriptures, you know, both New Testament and Old Testament. He's the one communicating. And when it's the angel of the Lord, you can tell when it's Christ speaking as well. And sometimes he's referred to as Michael as well. Okay. Let's go to line 443. Christ accepted the worship of many people. Okay. Here's, I just put this as an example. Peter's confession, he saith unto him, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it to you. Peter recognized in, in Jesus deity, the Son of God. Uh, now, Christ allowed many individuals to worship him, in spite of clear prohibitions otherwise. Line 452, it was unlawful for people to worship anyone but God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Line 455, I am the Lord, that is my name and my glory. I will not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. God was very jealous, said, I will not let you worship any other god. And we have a practical example of this. Uh, when uh, in Acts 10, 25 to 26, line 460, as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up and said, Stand up, I myself also am a man. It's a very serious thing for, for someone to worship someone who is not God. Uh, but you notice uh, in, in and going to Revelation 22, 8 to 9, 477, And I, John, saw these things and heard him. And when I heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren, the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of the book. Worship God. Okay? So there was a, a clear distinction about who we could worship. But notice all the people that worship Christ now. 484, Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him. He was worshiping. Exodus 34, 8, line 492. And Moses made haste and bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. 494, Joshua 5, line 495. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? If Christ were not God, he would not have allowed that to happen. Okay? During his time on earth, he allowed people to worship him. Line 507, And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Some of you are busy taking notes. Praise God. 519, Matthew 28, 9, And as they went to tell his disciples, 519, As they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail, and they came and held him by the feet, and they did what? They worshipped him. If Christ were not a real person, they couldn't have held his feet, and he, they wouldn't have worshipped him had he not been God. Right? I don't see where there's any lack of clarity in this, do you? It's so clear. Uh, line 522. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain, where, they, where Jesus had appointed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. They worshipped him. Uh, Luke 24, 51. 
And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Anyway, it's pretty clear, isn't it? That Jesus allowed people to worship him as God. That to me is a very strong line of evidence that he was God. No doubt about it. Uh, even demons recognized the deity of Christ. Mark 3.11, And unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. Was it because he was not God? No, because it was going to attract the wrong kind of attention and limit his ministry. Now, I, I, yeah, I used to be really struck by the fact that Jesus would do things and then he would tell the disciples, don't say anything. And what would they do? They would promptly tell everyone. But it wasn't reverse psychology. She says that, that because of the sharing that was going on, it actually eventually forced his ministry to go out into the wilderness you know, because it, it, it had brought the wrong kind of attention. And that's not a bad thing, by the way. You know, we've been listening to, to our brother Adam in the morning service. John Wesley, they forbade him to preach in churches too, so he went outside and there, crowds as great as 20,000 people would come and listen to him in the fields. They could have never heard him in a church. The church would have limited him, okay? God is able to work for good in all circumstances. We continue. Um, line 550, we are called to worship Christ the Creator at his second coming. Line 552, Revelation 14.7. Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth, the sea, and the fountains of water. Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment, and worship him that made heaven. Who are we told to worship there? The Creator. Who is the Creator? Christ. Okay. Notice the second coming. Isaiah 25, 9, line 559, And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him. And he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Look at footnote number 18 at the bottom of the page there, page 23. Shall we not strive to be among the number who will welcome Christ with the words, with the words Lo, this is our God. Okay. He says, strive to be with a group that will welcome Christ with the words, Lo, this is our God. Another evidence that Christ was indeed God. And then Christ will be worshipped in heaven. Line 570, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, that every knee should, should bow. That sounds to me like worship, doesn't it, to you? Yeah. Um, now, Christ appeared frequently in Bible prophecy. Well, let me, there's a footnote at line 19. I occasionally add a footnote of, from the writings of Ellen White because they are insightful. Sometimes they are quotes that, uh, that share just in a, in a nutshell what Ellen White says on it. As the saints in the kingdom of God are accepted in the beloved, footnote 19, they hear, Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then the golden harps are touched, and the music flows all through the heavenly host, and they fall down and they worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How about that? They worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now we move on to Christ in Bible prophecy. Christ was the object 
of many prophecies. And commenting on this, look at footnote 20. Ellen White writes, The miracles of Jesus are a proof of his divinity. But the strongest proofs that he is the world's redeemer are found in the prophecies of the Old Testament. So she says that even stronger than the miracles are the prophecies. Why do you suppose that the, the prophecies are an even stronger witness to the deity of Christ? Why is that? What? Even demons can... Even, at times, demons can counterfeit miracles. That's something I've never thought of. That's a very good point. Other reasons why prophecy, yes? So many of them have chances to any other person fulfilling Yes. Yeah. The chance of some one person fulfilling them, and the Bible wasn't written, you know, with the internet to, to communicate. I'll write this and you write that. It was written over thousands of years, right? And And they hadn't read each other's documents at all. And yet you find in the end, there's this perfect unity. There's this perfect, you know, consistency. And so that consistency is absolutely striking, obviously, if you're willing to, to read what's there. So let's look at some of these prophecies. You're acquainted with many of them. Uh, line 606, Numbers 24, 17, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a, script, a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and all the children of, of, of Sheph. Okay? A star would come out of Jacob, right? That was a clear prophecy that, that was looked to. Um, and then Psalms 22.1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Were those words later uttered on the cross? Yeah. Uh, Psalms 22, 18, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Perfectly fulfilled. Psalms 34, 20, he keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. These are all prophecies regarding Christ that were fulfilled. Line 627, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Was that fulfilled? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we continue. Line 642. Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Was that fulfilled in the life of Christ? Absolutely. And then Isaiah 61, 3, Jesus quoted this, obviously. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, etc. There are numerous, numerous Bible prophecies that are fulfilled in Christ. In my note at the beginning of this section, I point out that, that there are at least 200 prophecies regarding Christ fulfilled you know, in, in Christ. Some people believe there may be as many as 400 prophecies that were fulfilled in the life of Christ. So just a few more. Here's a very striking one, Daniel 9, 24, 27, starting at line 671. Know therefore, 
and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks the street shall be built again in the wall even in troublous times and after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off but not for himself. Was that prophecy given way in advance of Christ's life? Could he have artificially brought that together? It would not have been possible. Okay, so, so he was truly a perfect fulfillment of what the Bible taught. And then line 684, Micah 5.2, And thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Jerusalem, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Okay, that was a bit of a stump for some people because it said, you know, that he would come out of Bethlehem and some people only kind of equated Jesus with coming out of Nazareth. But he did, due to a, a census that was called for providentially, you know, that, that caused the family to go to Bethlehem. Uh, there's no way that Joseph and Mary could have said, we need, you know, we need to move to Bethlehem for a while. No, that was, that was God working, moving uh, the events of history to align with, with Bible prophecy. And then for many, and this is true for us as well in our day, well, let's look at 691, and he said to them, if you think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver, and the Lord said unto me, cast it unto the potter, a goodly price that I was prized out of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Would you agree that Jesus fulfilled many Bible prophecies? Do you believe that that's a strong proof of his divinity? Absolutely. Absolutely. And really what this booklet is, is just a, trying to show all this evidence in the same place. You know, it's easy to just take one verse and say, this is proof. But if you look at the, the whole body of evidence, it's, it's, how could you argue against it? it? It is impossible. Now, do you have any questions on what we just covered regarding Bible prophecy? No, it's, it's pretty clear, isn't it? Okay, now let's talk about supernatural works and claims, because this is also another line of evidence. Okay, John 1.3. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything that was made. Okay? That's a claim that is made about Christ. Could that be made about anyone but, but God? I mean, if I went to one of you and said... Everything is a result of, 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 of what you've done. What would you think? Either something's wrong with me, I'm just a, I don't know. Okay? But they could say that about Jesus. We turn the page. Notice all the miracles that Christ, so there was the, the miracle of creation that was associated with Christ. And then there's all these miracles. The water was turned into wine, line seven, 717. The official son was healed. I'm just going down the list. Healing the demon-possessed man in Capernaum. Healing of Simon Peter's mother. Healing the great crowd of sick people. Healing the leper. Healing the centurion's servant. And, and it's interesting that Jesus not only was able to heal one person, but sometimes it says the entire community was healed. Not a sick person remained. If that's not God working, I don't know you know, uh, what is talking about. 
7.29, scores of people were healed in the crowd of, of 5,000. And then miracles continued to be performed following Christ's ascension, you know, in answer to what his plan was for the disciples. Peter healed the lame man uh, at line 7.36 in Acts 3.7-11. to 11. I don't have the verses there, but we know the stories, I think, enough. God used an earthquake to free Peter from the prison. Signs and wonders were done by the apostles. Stephen was greatly used of God. Philip performed miracles. Elymas was made blind by Paul. The followers of Jesus suddenly had a supernatural ministry as a result of his presence in their lives, right? Is that evidence, do you think, of the supernatural divinity of Christ? Yeah. And then the power that was given to others. This has to do with his, 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 his ministry with the disciples in the early days. Line 747, Matthew 10, 1. And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manners of sickness and all manners of disease. Can anyone give such power in our day to someone else? Can't be done. Has to have been God. Line 750, Matthew 14, 28 to 29. Be of good cheer. It is I. This is a Peter when, you know, he saw Jesus walking on the water. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. When Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. That's a miracle, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a miracle. Now, I just have to, to share just something spiritual here. How long did Jesus take Peter walking on the water? Did he say, Peter, let's go for a walk and just prove for all time what you and I can do together? Did he do that? No. What did he do? He took Peter by the hand and he walked him right back into the boat. You see, God doesn't give power like that to, to cause it to give us pride. And someone wrote a sermon, if you want to walk on water, get out of the boat. My response is, if you want to walk with Jesus, let him take you by the hand and lead you back into the boat. Why, didn't, why would Peter perhaps want to get out of the boat? They were all complaining, right? They were an unhappy group. And, uh, but Jesus said, no. He took him right back in the boat because the miracle will take place in the church in the boat. That's why we're here. Our church is not perfect. But that's where the miracles will take place. And we each contribute to the miracles, right? So we continue. Uh, line 758, Ephesians 1.19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of what? His mighty power. You know, there's a sermon of Ellen White that is just wonderful. If you come to my booth, I'd love you to all come visit my booth. You'd see that I've made many, many booklets of some of these things. And, and uh, one of the things that I found was a sermon of Ellen White where she talks about what it means to be kept by the power of God. And she talks about how God will even keep our eyes to keep them from looking at evil, you know, seeing, seeing the evil. It's based on a text in, in Job. But, but there's something about the, the power of God that we can have exercise in our lives. So Christ was able to grant supernatural power to other people. And then line 765, Christ commanded demons to depart from people. Line 766, and Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and hurt him not. Just a, a brief pause there, too. You know, when, when, when the devil is tormenting, we are not to go as victims. We are to go as victors in the name of Jesus. 
One time, Rose and I, we were in England holding meetings, and they called us to, uh, to pray for a young woman who was possessed. She was acting very strange, and things were coming out of her mouth that, that just weren't her. And, and the family told us, you know, we've been, we've been doing just like what we saw on television, exercising her, you know, but it's not been working. And we began singing hymns and claiming Bible promises, and all that stuff just kind of filtered away. It was amazing. No, it came back and torment, but it was like just put her on a diet of, of singing songs and claiming promises. And, and Ellen White says that the name of Jesus, the devil flees. He hates that name. Not about what you can do. It's about what God can do. That's all you're doing. You're, you're exercising your faith on behalf of the person. Line 770, Christ raised the dead. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth bound hand, foot, and grave cloths. Jesus is the one that, that does the resurrection of those that are, are, are spiritually dead as well. In Lazarus' case, he was still bound, right? And the people had to unwind him. You know, that which earth had kind of encumbered him. And so when people come to Christ, there may be the miracle in the heart, but oftentimes there's things externally that are still keeping them somewhat bound. And it's our privilege to lead them into the truth uh, in greater ways. Anyway, we continue. And nature obeyed him. Line 775. And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Yeah. And then there's, I also list there the story of, of, of the fish that swam into the net. And, and I imagine, because Jesus could speak to the fish, that Jesus might have said to the fish, Today is your day to die to self. You must swim into the net. You must swim into the net. And they obeyed because God had called them for that purpose. You know, some people, there, there's the story of the man that was born blind. And, and, and have you ever thought about, about the blessing that was there for him? His blindness was the blessing. He was born blessed because one day his blindness would allow a wonderful miracle for God. Sometimes we don't see our, our difficulties as, as blessings. Now let's go forward to supernatural claims and assurances, claims of deity. Line 788, Christ claimed to have seen the Father. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. And I should have paused. Did you have any questions or comments of the last section? Because I'm driven by the clock always. Please speak up. Don't hesitate. I reserve the right to hold on some questions until we've gone further. But if you have a comment or question what we just studied, then I'm happy to entertain that. So let's look at these claims of deity. Christ claimed to have seen the Father. Christ claimed to know the Father. John 10, 15, line 7, 96, As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus claimed to know the Father in heaven. And then, line 798, Christ claimed to share the Father's glory, and the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his work. Christ claimed to have angels, the Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend in them which do iniquity. Christ claimed to have all power, 809. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. 9812, Christ claimed to be the Lord of the Sabbath. He said, The Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. He claimed the role of judge. 
The Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. He claimed the right to be lifted up, idolatry if he'd not been God. He said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. What human being could make that statement? I mean, there are some people that might like to say that, but only Jesus could say that. Only God could say that in verity. 8.22, Christ claimed the right to call people to come to him. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me, and ye will not come to me that ye might have life. Jesus said, come, and you'll receive life from me. 8.26, Christ claimed the right to forgive. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick of palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Wouldn't it be nice if, if we could do the same thing, but it's not been given to us to say, you know, I, I can say, you're forgiven. Jesus claimed to be the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He claimed to be the light of the world. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Line 8.33, he claimed to be the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep. Christ claimed to have perfect comprehension of the Father's will. For the Father quick, raises up the dead and quickeneth them. Even so, the Son quickeneth whom he will. So he had a comprehension of the Father's will. He claimed to have power to raise the dead. Do I need to go on further? Aren't those all statements that you'd have to have more than, than, than human to be, to, to be able to make those statements? Yeah. He said that with the authority of God. He said that with the authority of God. And then even bigger, line 847, rejecting his teaching brought the loss of salvation. Line 847, are you with me? Aren't the line numbers nice? We wouldn't have gone the first three pages without line numbers. It's easy to do, by the way, for those of you that are in ministry. Um, John 15, 24, If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin, but now have they both seen and hated both me and my Father. So somehow their response to his teaching and his work brought irresponsibility. And then Christ claimed that those who did not honor him did not honor the Father, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, what a bold statement, honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Why do you think? Did those things prove that Christ was God? Is that part of the evidence? How do you feel about that? You're all being silent. You're allowed to respond. Do you, do you see a problem with what, we, what I've shared there at all? It's, it's overwhelming evidence, wouldn't you agree? It's like every page, everything you think about, suddenly, well, yeah, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. And I hope you'll keep this booklet so if you have someone challenge you that Christ isn't God, you can say, well, hold on. Let's, 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 let's have a little study together. Now, the assurances of deity. Christ gave many assurances that only deity could give. Matthew eleven twenty eight. I'm at line eight fifty eight and eight fifty nine. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's a bold statement. Bold statement for anyone other than God. Crime is promise keeping, and I give unto them eternal life. That's pretty bold too to give eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And I have to circle this business about giving eternal life. That's pretty amazing. Christ also gave them assurance of salvation. Line 867, 
And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, today, unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Christ promised that life resided in himself. John 6, 47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. He promised to save to the uttermost, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. He promised to answer prayer. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive. So Jesus said, My name is your passport is the key to getting answers to prayer. That's an amazing claim. You know, you and I could say that about someone we know, just let them know that I sent you. But Jesus said, when it comes to God, use my name, and that will get you right through. Uh, another one, line 884, Christ promised to prepare a heavenly home to which he would bring his followers one day. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, ye may be also. He promised that he would restore and bring us back to his home. That's our time for today, and that's good. We almost went further than I expected. Any comments? We have about three minutes left. And for those that are listening to this, uh, if you go to my website, discipleheart.com, you can download these studies off of a page near the top of the first page where it says Downloadable Study Guides, and you can find all five of these studies. Yes, sister. Isn't Christ the only being in the universe that has been God, human, angel? Yeah, the sister asked, and I was asked to repeat the question. She asked, is Christ the only being in the universe that's ever been Christ has been God, human, and angel. And what I would say is unequivocally, yes, that he was God. Unequivocally, yes, that he was human. Uh, the angel part, he's referred to as an angel. Angel of the Lord. Well, he's called the angel of the Lord, but he was God. That was a title of God. I'm not sure that he would be called an angel in that way. So in, on the ark, who's the other angel on the ark? Isn't that because he's the great minister of the universe? You know, I don't have time to answer that question in detail because I've never thought of that question, so I'm not going to try, okay? I'm not being difficult, but, but she's brought up a, a very important point which we don't really get into in the study, but, but when Jesus came, he was fully God and fully human. And Ellen White says that when he died on the cross, his humanity died, but not his divinity. And, and there's, 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 it's, it's a pity we don't have time to talk about about some aspects of, of what his nature was like when he was on earth, because it's very instructive and helpful. I see a question here. Almighty says that when Satan began to rebel, he claimed that he was equal with Christ. Sure. Um, so Christ was considered the archangel, one of the ones beside the throne. And so that not an excuse because God clarified to Satan and to all the angels that Christ always was. Yeah. It was, it was, apparently stood in the position that Satan claimed 
He was infiltrated. That's part of the mystery. He's referred to as the eternal Son of God. Uh, and not just a Son of God, but the eternal Son of God, which, which refers to the fact that he, he had no beginning. So he was fully God the whole time, even though he had the title of God, a son, and whatever that meant, because that's part of the mystery. That's part of what Ellen White refers to as the essence. We don't know what that is. But that he was in that position was true. The angels were created, so they would have not known the, the early beginning of all of them. And that's why it had to be clarified. But she says, nothing changed. What he was, he'd always been. Yes, Brother Sorensen. Um, all these texts yes. from Scripture, they're all King James. They are, and I should explain why. Because I think the vast majority of them are King James, because Ellen White used the King James, and my study was to see what she said in her writings, so I always used the King James. Some people have urged me to, to do it in the new King James because it would be easier. And I'd love to do that, but I haven't had time to do it. I mean, you're looking at me, myself, and I. I'm, there are three people of us that work there, and I'm all three of them. I'm just thinking of the Pope, how he makes the claims of many of these, uh, many of these claims of Christ. He yes. Yes. The, 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 the sister mentioned that the Pope has claimed many of these things for himself, which is absolutely untrue. And a, a brother asked before that if all the texts used in the study guide are King James. And that is true. And it's my personal preference is the new King James, I'll be honest with you. But since I was studying Ellen White and she uses the King James, I chose to use her, the scriptures she used so I would not be changing how she was reading the scriptures at the time. I, I, I enjoy both of them. But for readability and for people that can hardly read, which is too common today, I use the simpler, easier to understand version. Any other questions at all? We're, we're, we should be ending. I thank you. Yes, sister. I have gotten, I'm sad, but I, I thought I brought them along. Two little things, they look like blow tracks. Yes. And so I took them home and I read them, and the first part, nothing was controversial. But afterwards, I came to the end. I was seeing that our church was attacked yeah. with, the, with the word of begotten. Okay. And I thought I had him here. I was going to bring him along, and I showed him to a good friend of mine, and I thought I'd put him in the Bible. And uh, they said something, but they once believed, and sure. things we don't believe anymore. Sure. But then also, and the wife was six. 17 years old when the Lord showed the truth to her, and it was not all shown in one time. She no. progressed, you know, sure. she studied the scripture, she, what she once maybe believed or to have no. an idea later on, when God, she had a close relationship with the Lord, yeah. came a deeper understanding, and so now to dig those things all up and Sure. Sure. And what I will say is that we're going to discuss that in detail later. The sister's okay. asking about the whole question of begotten, yes. and some people suggest that Christ was only begotten, which suggests that there was a birth at some time in the past. Actually, our next session will look at some of those questions, and then on the very last session, we'll look at it in much more depth as well. I mean, they're dear friends to me. Sure. And uh, but I, when I come back, I have to talk to her that she should not give those things up. Yeah, well, we're not here to, uh, we're going to try and focus on the truth here, yeah. 
and show the truth in such a way that you don't need to worry about that when you understand what it's about. Well, we need to have a word of prayer. Thank you for your participation. There's still a few empty seats, and you know, and and I think that there are things I share in the class that you will not get just by reading the study guides. Most of it's there, but there's a lot more that I can share in the class. So if you can come, I think you won't be sorry. I'll do my best to make sure you don't waste your time. Let's pray. Father in heaven, and I'm going to kneel. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for your help today. This is really your topic. And Lord, what I share is, I believe, what you shared with me, Lord, because I prayed much about, but how do you even share this, Lord? And that's when you showed me all the lines of evidence. Lord, might this be a living truth? And might we not just read in it arguments to defend the Godhead of Jesus, but might we see in it reasons to praise you? Because you do make assurances, you do make claims, you do make promises that we can claim for ourselves because you are, you are Christ who also referred to himself as the great I am. And we can add whatever is needed. So whatever the case might be, Thank you for who you are, and thank you that you said, Come unto me, all you that are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then you said, Take my yoke. Yoke of service, the yoke of obedience. That's where happiness comes. And you said, And learn in me, doing it meekly, doing it happily. So thank you for this time. Bless us in the rest of the sessions this week, and bless the rest of this day. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio 22 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcasts.